when a company signs a decree, they need to be prepared to live with it. And so it's not enough to say lawyers just negotiate this like it's a minor commercial contract and you know that'll be fine. Really need executive focus on what it is that you're signing up to do and being prepared to do it. Hello, and welcome to Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series. This podcast was created by seasoned compliance experts at Affiliated Monitors who will provide their observations on industry trends geared to raise your awareness and to protect your brand. So grab a cup of coffee and join us as we guide you to integrity through compliance. Welcome everyone to the AMI podcast. I am Dion Lomax and I am the Managing Director of Antitrust and Trade Regulation for Affiliated Monitors, Inc. Today, I would like to introduce our guest speaker, Joe Miller. Joe is the co-chair of Mintz Levin's Antitrust Practice and is also a partner in the firm's healthcare practice group. At Mintz, Joe advises health systems, physician groups, health plans, trade associations, and other healthcare-related businesses on assessing and mitigating antitrust risk, as well as representation before antitrust enforcers. Joe began his career in 1991 at the Federal Trade Commission, starting in the Compliance Division, where he focused on enforcing FTC final orders and investigating potential violations of the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act. After a four-year stint in private practice, Joe spent 12 years at the Antitrust Division, where he tried merger cases and later served as assistant chief of the Antitrust Division's healthcare section. If that's not enough, Joe has also served as general counsel of AHIP, America's Health Insurance Plans, the National Trade Association for the Health Plan Industry. Joe returned to private practice in 2015, where he continues to work at the intersection of healthcare law and competition policy. So, Joe, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks, Dion. Pleased to be here, and thanks for the introduction. Absolutely, absolutely. So, today, I really want to talk about some recent developments, and I really kind of want to focus on the compliance aspect. You know, when we discuss antitrust and antitrust compliance at conferences and webinars, you and I have been co-hosts of webinars together and whatnot, we often focus on those hot button or red flag issues, those areas that are high risk that companies basically should steer clear of to avoid criminal fines and monetary penalties. And we discuss compliance, but we do that from the vantage point of how the company and business executives can comply to avoid government scrutiny and private lawsuits. What I realized recently was there's not as much focus on compliance with government consent decrees and what might be occurring behind the scenes at the federal enforcement agencies once a company has settled antitrust charges. So I, again, thank you for joining us today to specifically help us shed some light on that aspect of antitrust compliance. And so I think I would just like to kick it off with uh, thinking back to the, your bio that I just read. I understand that your first job out of law school was in the compliance division at the FTC. So can you tell us a, a bit about how things were structured while you were there and perhaps how they've changed since your time at the FTC? 
Sure. Um, so I started the compliance division was my first job out of law school, which is really an interesting place to start a legal career uh, because the compliance division, although it had a relatively narrow set of responsibilities, saw everything that was coming through, at least the competition side of the of the agency. So you really got a really nice broad overview of what was happening. Um, your actual responsibilities um, in the compliance division, um, especially as a junior staffer, was to get put on a matter uh, after it had been settled. So typically a merger case doesn't get tried. Typically they get um, either uh, let go, that is the government in most cases doesn't enforce against a merger, but when they do decide to enforce, uh, typically it's uh, resolved with a consent decree of some sort. After the deal was finalized, that is after the staff had negotiated whatever it was they were gonna negotiate for a remedy, typically a divestiture, and it was finalized by the commission, they voted on it and it became final after the process you know, set up by statute, a compliance staffer would get the assignment. And so then you'd have a final decree, good, bad, or indifferent, there it was, and your job was to enforce it. So you'd send a letter to the respondent uh, just outlining their obligations and timelines. Uh, you'd follow up with uh, polite reminders if they missed a deadline or two. If it warranted, you'd open an enforcement action for a decree violation, which could be remedied with a civil violation uh, and injunctive relief. And again, those were mostly settled, but could go to court if necessary. So that's kind of how it went. It was more after the fact. It was your responsibility to you know, enforce the decree however it came to you. Uh, now, the compliance division is more actively involved up front with the settlement. As the case is headed toward uh, a settlement, the compliance staff will be, you know, an integral part of what's going on. You know, if it's going on a litigation track or if it's going on a settlement track, they want to be prepared to settle. And so the compliance division staffer will, you know, at this point be involved in leading or at least heavily involved with the decree negotiation. You know, this came about, I think, because the commission, to its credit, does periodic look back studies to see how well their decrees are meeting their stated objectives and then implements changes as warranted. Uh, some changes, you know, over time. So this is um, not necessarily a wholesale change, but some differences that are now emphasized as a result of some of this self-reflection includes, you know, upfront approval for buyers of divested assets, the use of outside monitors. If there's a you know hold separate, that is, if the merging parties have to hold part of their businesses you know separate during the pendency of the divestiture, they can close the deal, but then they have to you know sort of run a separate business under one roof, but continue to compete and keep those assets prepared to be divested and make sure they don't uh, waste in any way. And so there's uh, use of frequent outside monitors to make sure that those decree provisions are being lived up to if there's not a simultaneous divestiture to the closing. And then there's, you know, the continuing emphasis as there always has been on structural remedies instead of behavioral remedies. What we mean by that is a structural remedy is there's going to be some set of assets that are divested and then the antitrust enforcement agencies move on. They're not continually regulating something because they've got a decree. They don't want that. They're not in a position to do that. And it really, you know, sort of upholds the institutional integrity of both the DOJ antitrust division as well as the FTC. 
FTC to be law enforcers. They um, don't want to become price regulators or industry regulators. It's not their job. And so they would want decrees that just have a lot of finality to them and relatively soon. However, sometimes you do need a behavioral remedy or the uh, agencies require a behavioral remedy, uh, meaning there's some sort of ongoing monitoring of the behavior. And in that case, you would also see uh, use of a monitor. Those are some of the changes and some of the consistencies over time. So based on what you just described, and thank you for giving us that little bit of inside baseball in terms of how things are working behind the scenes, from your perspective, does any of that change how a company should approach how they negotiate a consent decree, particularly as it relates to whether or not you're dealing with structural versus behavioral remedies? Well, I think over time, uh, because of these policy changes the commission has uh, put into place, the expectations are clearer. That is, they wrote all this down and they sort of, uh, right. and even if you're you know, sort of not clever enough to go look for their policies, you can study their decrees and see a lot of consistency. So the expectations are clearer and enforced more consistently, which I think makes the negotiation at least shorter, if not easier. So if you know going in what's going to be required, there's less to talk about. I think companies need to understand that this negotiation is unlike a typical commercial negotiation where each side probably comes in with some room to give. Uh, In this circumstance, at least in theory, the government's alternative is to go to court to get full relief in the form of an injunction. And so if they're talking to you, it means, you know, not always, but it should mean that they are prepared to go litigate the case and get an injunction, which means your deal is actually dead. And so, you know, it's really different from a commercial negotiation and the metric for success for the government is preserving the competitive status quo ante without really much look to profitability. That is, if you, you know, if you're negotiating this decree and you can sort of retain, you know, the assets that will make the deal profitable for you, the government doesn't object to it on that basis, right? They object to it on the basis of market power. And if they can ameliorate the delta, that is the change in the market power, mm-hmm. they should be completely satisfied. So understanding than a negotiation from their perspective. I don't know if that's a change, but that's the way that that's expressed and the way that the government looks for relief has uh, changed a bit over time. And so that's important to understand. Yeah, no, thanks for that. And, and you mentioned earlier about upfront buyers with respect to the FTC. And so there appears to be somewhat of a difference between the approach that the FTC takes regarding consent decree compliance and enforcement versus the DOJ. And you've been at both places, so I feel even more delighted that we have you as our guest today. Uh, Can you speak to some of those historical differences between the agencies? Sure. So um, they are separate agencies. The DOJ is an executive branch agency and the FTC is independent, which means that it doesn't answer to the attorney general or directly to the president. There's been a couple of Supreme Court cases about whether that's permitted, uh, turns out it is, um, who knew? In any event, so yeah, they can have different approaches. I mean, historically, they've been aligned at a high level. The DOJ has had policies and principles for consent degrees, and they've been more or less aligned, although you know less maybe in practice than you would read in a speech. So the preference for structural remedies instead of behavioral remedies is been pretty consistent. Some assistant attorney generals, AAGs, have been more, let's say, flexible in their approach, depending on what they're trying to do. If you're looking 
um, at a vertical case. That is, there's no current competition, but it's companies are different parts of a supply chain. So there's no direct competition and direct divestiture of assets won't cure the competitive problem. That might require a behavioral remedy. Uh, and so, you know, the ability to or the willingness to take a behavioral remedy has, you know, sort of ebbed and flowed over time, depending on the circumstance. So DOJ, I would say, has, you know, policies and principles and they give speeches and they sort of changes over time. You know, there's been a bit of a difference and there's been less uh, until recently institutional focus on decrees and their enforcement. So, you know, maybe talk about it in a little bit, but that's changed over time. You know, historically at DOJ, if the lead attorney who was preparing the case for litigation, who settled the case, it would be that person's responsibility to then also enforce the decree. However, you know, lead attorneys who are talented are in short supply and often they're off doing the next thing, right? So uh, it's not their highest and best use to continue to, you know, work on this matter that's been settled. The division might want them off working on the next big case or something along those lines. And so uh, it would be a bit haphazard. And sometimes the responsibilities for enforcing the decree would fall to another attorney who was maybe not as familiar with the background or the negotiations and would be less personally invested in seeing it through. Not that they wouldn't do a good job, but they simply just don't have all the facts in the background. Uh, And so I think, you know, at least in my observation, the enforcement of existing decrees historically could be a bit uneven. I don't think they did a bad job, but I think there was less of a focus on it. Yeah, and look, speaking of structural changes, the DOJ actually made some structural changes of its own and has recently centralized its activity in this area in what is now called the Office of Decree Enforcement. Just curious to know, what's your understanding of this new entity and what do you think its implications are for business enterprises? Well, this happened last August, so it hasn't even been a year. And if you look on the DOJ website, there's no sort of list of enforcement cases, you know, um, within that office. I think probably just because it's too new. You know, when I saw this, it just really struck me as the DOJ was trying to, you know, mimic FTC best practices. So now they're making it more of an institutional commitment to enforcing decrees that it won't be up to the lead attorney if that person is still around and you know available to do this, that they'll have people in the division dedicated to doing just this. And so it just it looks just like the FTC, right? So you've got the same thing. I imagine, you know, without knowing, but I, I think that they'll probably be involved in negotiating the decrees. Just because that person is there, they'll um, be demanding some consistent policy, right? So it sort of elevates the status of this thing to you know, sort of gain more attention in the front office. And if you've got, you know, an office of degree enforcement, you'll need a consistent set of policies consistently enforced. And so I would expect, you know, over time that you'll get the AAG's attention to try to articulate what it is that they're trying to do. Um, And so you don't have sort of a, a staffer making this policy. You'll have a politically accountable person appointed by the president or, you know, one of that person's appointees, you know, speaking to this with authority. Very interesting. Yes, we we will most certainly keep our eyes on the activities of the Office of Decree Enforcement going forward. And so there are some who might say that understanding the nuts and bolts of consent decree enforcement, hey, you know what, that's for the lawyers. We're going to let the lawyers take care of that. And that it may not really be necessary for business executives to understand much about that. What's your perspective on that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? 
And, um, you know, can knowing this information that we've just talked about today help a company in its antitrust compliance efforts? I think so. So, I mean, I disagree with the idea that leave it to the lawyers, everything's going to be fine. I think the lawyers, um, I don't want to lose my lawyer union card. Lawyers can do a lot for you. <laughs> but, you know, I think when a company signs a decree, they need to be prepared to live with it. And so it's not enough to say lawyers just negotiate this like it's a minor commercial contract and, you know, that'll be fine. Really need executive focus on what it is that you're signing up to do and being prepared to do it. Because I think, um, you know, over time, you've seen more emphasis on decree enforcement. And I think the change at DOJ, you know, the changes over time at the FTC point to this. And if you're not prepared to prepared to live with it up front and, you know, really think through what those obligations are going to mean for your business, then think about whether you want to be signing that decree. As an example, uh, this goes back away, but, you know, the famous Microsoft case, the monopolization case that went up through the D.C. Circuit, it's kind of held up as now the example of how modern antitrust monopolization cases should be done. That is, it sets out standards and it was a per curiam case. It was, I think, I think written by Judge Ginsburg, who's, you know, quite well known in the field of antitrust. It's really thought of as a very well done opinion, very well done case. That came out of, you know, some really hard fought litigation at the Justice Department. You know, the backstory to that is it was actually the FTC that started investigating Microsoft in the, I forget if it was like 89 or early 90s. And the commission at the time split 2-2, so they couldn't bring a case. Uh, and then they shipped it over to the Justice Department, which as far as I can tell, hasn't happened since. It's quite unusual. They are usually pretty territorial about the commodities uh, and the cases that they bring. And so this went over to the Justice Department, who did its own investigation, uh, wound up getting a consent decree with Microsoft with some, you know, I think relatively, at least relative to uh, the decree they actually wound up with after the fully litigated case. But they entered a decree, they signed it. And then as far as I can tell, they didn't take it all that seriously. I don't know all the details, but not long after that, there was a decree enforcement investigation when they weren't stopping what they said they would stop doing, which then mushroomed into the full-blown investigation. So it became a much broader scope investigation rather than just sort of the narrow practice that had been forbidden by the original decree, they started looking at that and they said, you know, whoa, there's more here going on that we need to understand. And then that, you know, sort of led to the full-blown Super Bowl of cases uh, for, <laughs> right. for, you know, I think it was probably the biggest antitrust case to come along in a long time and the biggest one after that for like 10 years or something. So it was really, you know, the lack of focus. I mean, I, you know, who knows whether Microsoft would have gotten sued or investigated anyway, but I think the mechanism for, you know, getting the government's attention was this. And so just a, a you know, I wouldn't call it an apocryphal tale, but just an interesting, uh, an interesting anecdote that if you aren't prepared to live up to the decree that you're signing, there could be consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Joe, I really want to thank you for shedding some light on this inside baseball look at consent decree enforcement at both the FTC and the DOJ. I look forward to working with you in a future podcast. Uh, thanks. I look forward to that, too. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Dan. Thank you for joining Affiliated Monitor's podcast, Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's business success series. Today's segment is just a sample of the subject matter expertise captured by AMI's compliance professionals. 
go to our website at www.affiliatedmonitors.com to view the comprehensive list of industry and in-house talent AMI has available to enhance professional and business integrity programs and controls. Also connect with us on LinkedIn to receive updates and trends in the areas of enforcement and compliance. If you have any questions about today's podcast or would like to learn more, please contact us at podcasts at affiliatedmonitors.com. Our Affiliated Monitors podcast production team of Dolores Syed, our compliance associate, and Dan Barton, our editor and podcast music composer, look forward to you joining us again for our next installment of Integrity Through Compliance, AMI's Business Success Series.